Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from abridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about usnea lichen. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Today, I'm excited to share with you a bit about Usnea lichen, otherwise known as, commonly known as old man's beard lichen, and how I like to use it medicinally, how it's uh, able to be harvested sustainably, and how you can make herbal preparations with it. Before I really dig in, I just want to say that Today is my one-year anniversary of the Healthy Herb Podcast, and halfway through this episode, I have a special celebratory offer for you that may intrigue you, so stay tuned for that. Until then, we're just going to dig into Usnea. Do you live somewhere where Usnea lichen grows? You would notice it probably hanging from trees, from maybe evergreen trees or hardwood trees. And it's this almost fluorescent green, light green color. And it looks almost like witch's hair or, you know, like tendrils or mycorrhizae, like hanging down from trees, hair, um, like kind of rough, scraggly hair hanging down off of tree branches. Usnea is in the Paraliaceae family. It's a beautiful lichen that attaches to trees and over time grows in long hanging masses. Because of its appearance, another name for it is the old man's beard. The name Usnea actually stems from an Arabic word, which is Ushna, which means fragrant. And you might not notice that usnea is actually quite fragrant when you're you know, walking through the woods or you maybe crumple some up. 
It might not be so fragrant, but once you bring it in to the home and you simmer it in some water, you really will notice that it has this really beautiful fragrance to it, a really unique fragrance to it, which you never really, I never really thought of lichens as being fragrant, but this one is and therefore named. So lichens unto themselves are really interesting creatures. They're comprised of both a species of algae and a species of fungus that live in symbiosis. So the fungus tends to be the main driver of the lichen, which actually gives it its form. It gives its protection, moisture retention, and its ability to reproduce. And the algae is referred to as the photosynthetic symbiont, or photobiont for short. And it's the partner that creates food and energy from the sunlight for the fungus. And that therefore allows the lichen, this relationship between these two creatures to survive. Really interesting thing about lichens is that they're very uh, species specific. So it's a very specific type of fungus that marries a very specific type of algae. And that is what forms and the shape and the characteristics of the lichen itself. So in Usnia, the fungus part is a white, stretchy inner filament that is inside the green outer coating. The green outer coating of the lichen is the algae itself. It's crusty, it's kind of like dry and caked around this like stringy, almost rubbery, elastic fungus filament. So you can identify all types of usnea by scraping away the outer algae coating to find a thin, white, stretchy fungus within it. And if it's, especially if it's moist, sometimes if it's really dry, that fungus won't be so stretchy. But if it's moist, you can kind of stretch it a little bit like a really delicate rubber band. There are over 600 species of usnea and many varietals that vary based on their locations, the weather that they're exposed to, and their specific growing needs. All Usnea species can be used interchangeably, and they all have similar chemistry, including usnic acid and polysaccharides, which are considered to be a couple of the main active constituents. Usnea is a slow-growing lichen, but if allowed enough time and the right conditions, it can become quite prolific. Now, the fact that it is a slow-growing lichen is one reason why I'm hesitant even to be talking about it and even to be promoting it and putting it out there into the great wide world because usually with slow-growing plants, or in this case, lichens, we don't want to be out there harvesting them or foraging them. Um, Or if we are doing so, we really want to make sure that we're doing it in the most sustainable ways possible. Because if it's a very slow growing plant or lichen, 
then it is easy to over harvest or to harvest beyond its capacity to regrow. So I want to stress right now, and I will a couple probably other times throughout this discussion, but that when we harvest usnia to do so sustainably, we just pick it up off the ground. We don't go and like rip it off of trees. Um, if you are in dire straits, you might be able to cut the tips of the lichen off of the clumps that are hanging down. But it's something that you only want to harvest in small amounts that you need for that moment. And just to really be conscious and aware of your harvesting practices. Now, usnia is, um, I keep wanting to call it a plant, but an, we'll call it an herb and an herb being all-encompassing of plants and lichens and uh, medicinal mushrooms in this capacity. Usnia is an herb that is not, it's like used very specifically. It's anti-infective. It's an herb that you use in very specific situations, which we'll get into. It's not an herb that you're just going to use in large amounts every day like we do with our nourishing herbal infusion herbs. So it's an herb that we're just going to have on hand in cases of like a really intense infection that we need extra help fighting. So it's something that we just use in small amounts and we only really need to have small amounts hanging around. The usnea is often found hanging from trees that grow near the ocean. So where I live, it's actually quite abundant. It really likes moist habitats where the air is humid and there's regular fog or rain. So I think it, it also grows quite a bit out in the Pacific Northwest rainforests. It's really, it's found throughout the world's Northern Hemisphere. It likes to grow on a variety of evergreen trees, fruit trees, hardwood trees, um, things that, you know, trees that include spruces, apples, oaks, and birches are what I see it mostly growing on. And it will grow on these trees, whether the trees are dead or alive. It actually doesn't need the tree other than that it provides it a place to grow. It's not like robbing the tree of nutrition because it gets that from the energy and the light and the sun. But it likes to have, be on trees that don't have a lot of leaf growth because it needs that sunlight. So you'll often see it on trees that are old or dead or dying. And you're like, oh, that lichen, it's killing that tree. It's having a negative effect on the tree. But actually, it just works out well for the lichen if it's on a tree that get, that has a lot of sunlight exposure. The lichen gets all of its food and energy from the algae's ability to photosynthesize. So you'll find usnea thriving also in unpolluted air. And this is true from my understanding of most or all lichens. If you're in a place where lichen grows abundantly, it's a, generally a positive sign that you ha have a, you know, a fresh unpolluted air. Lichens can be a sign of places that, you know, if you see a lot of lichen that is dying off, it can be a sign that the air is becoming more polluted in that place. Or if there's places that lichens could grow, but they're not growing, it could be a sign that there is air pollution because 
Lichens in general and Usnea specifically are able to absorb heavy metals from air pollution. Usnea is easily affected by the pollutants, and it's said that so if you live in like a heavily polluted area or a place where there's a lot of air pollution or potential heavy metals that are being emitted into the air, that you wouldn't want to harvest usnea from that area. But in all likelihood, the usnea would not be growing there anyway, or it would be very stunted. It can it is often used as a marker for air quality. So Generally, you probably wouldn't want to harvest usnea from areas that are along heavily traveled roads, near factories, or other, you know, maybe nuclear power plants or things like that. So when we harvest usnea, like I said, you can harvest it any time of the year, which is why I like talking about it in the winter. And it's really best to harvest it after it's fallen on the ground. So after a windstorm is one of the best times to go out walking around under trees that have a lot of usnea hanging from them because often, you know, they're they're dead trees or dying trees and so their branches are pretty brittle and they'll fall to the ground. And you can gather the usnea off the ground because the usnea on the ground is not going to thrive or live for a very long time because it's not going to be getting the sun exposure and it might get trampled on by animals or humans. And it's generally just like small clumps of the lichen that are found on the ground. Or if you know of someone who's having a bunch of trees cut down um, and then that are probably going to be chipped and burned, that's a place where I've harvested a lot of usnea from. Is It's already going to be wasted um, if you don't go and harvest it. So if you're friends with... Um, someone who cuts down a lot of trees, or if you know someone who's having some trees cut that have usnea on it, that's a prime time to harvest a bunch of the usnea off of the tree that has already been cut to the ground and is going to be chipped or burned. Also, it's important when you're harvesting the usnea, if the air is very humid and the the usnea is very moist and supple when you're harvesting it, It's important to allow it to dry in an arid space before working with it or storing it in a sealed jar because the lichen, you know, if it's, if it just rained or if the air has a lot of humidity or fog, it's going to absorb the moisture from the air and, and hold on to a lot of that water retention. If it's really dry outside, then it's going to be a lot more brittle and you can easily dry it inside uh, before you work with it or before you store it. And then as it's stored, it will also continue to adjust to the humidity in the air of where you're storing it and absorb moisture if you're drying it in a space that has a lot of moist air. So just be aware of that. And if you're going to put it in like a sealed container, uh, make sure it's thoroughly dry before you put it in an airtight container. Another thing, a consideration to take into mind is when you're harvesting it to be aware of other creatures that need usnea for their survival and to make sure to leave lots of usnea behind so that everyone can benefit from it. There is this amazing little bird called the Northern Perula Warbler that makes their nest by weaving together clumps of usnea to form a hanging basket nest. So it 
So the usni is already hanging from the tree, and the warbler just comes along and weaves it together into this beautiful, round, hanging nest with a little hole in it. It is really magical to see. There's also uh, the blue-gray gnat catchers and the ruby-throated hummingbirds that harvest the lichen to add to their nests as well. So usnia has quite a bit of medicinal uses. Usnia species have been used for traditional medicine in China and Egypt, Greece and India, the Middle East, Europe, and North America since ancient times. They were among the most commonly used lichens in Europe. Lichen itself is interesting. It's been shown to produce up to a thousand different secondary metabolites that can constitute about 30% of the lichen. So secondary metabolites are chemicals that bacteria, plants, and fungi make to improve their own survivability. They're not nutrients. They don't necessarily have an effect on their functions, but they have an effect on their survival. So they're not involved with growth or development or reproduction. Secondary metabolites actually protect against infections, predators, creatures that compete for resources, and also that protect against sun damage. Secondary metabolites can also be chemicals that attract pollinators or that are mutually beneficial for resource sharing with other beings. So secondary metabolites have a variety of actions on the human body that are in the lichen, including they can be antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, they can be anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, they can be pain relieving, they can stop overly proliferative cells from proliferating, (laughs) they can be wound healing, they can be astringent, which is a major part of wound healing, they can stop bleeding, and they can really, you know, assist our own ability to survive and against situations that might be challenging to us. So whether it's killing bacteria, killing fungus, inhibiting viral infections, reducing inflammation, relieving pain, they can also prevent or reduce a fever. They can suppress cell growth, especially the growth of malignant cells into surrounding tissue. They can be wound healing, the astringency, tighten and toning mucous membranes and cells in general. They can stop bleeding. They can also support the process that results in cell death or damage, like especially to cancer cells. So Usnia itself has two main health-promoting functions for humans. It can support and modulate immune function, which is the polysaccharide aspect of the usnea. And that also has the ability to kill a variety of infectious microbes. The fungal component of usnea is that inner white filament. And it's really similar to other fungus creatures 
because it contains that polysaccharide. And the polysaccharides are long-chain sugars that support and modulate immune function. And they also feed our health-promoting microbiota or the bacteria that um, forms our microbiome in our gut. The algal component of usnea contains usnic acid, which is a very strong antimicrobial action to it. And then many usnea species also contain a protolichesterinic acid, which is also antimicrobial. And of course, these are only a few of the thousand potential secondary metabolites found in the lichen. So it's interesting to think, of course, like the antimicrobial aspect is going to be in the usnic acid in the algal component, which is on the outside. So it's the first thing that things would come to. And then the more like sugar, you know, storing basically of energy and sugars is going to be more in the fungal component. And then that is what can support our immune function in general. Polysaccharides are generally best extracted into water and they need to be simmered for a long time. Just like any time you're making a mushroom extract, part of your extraction process is that you're going to be simmering it in water for a long time to really get the most from it. And the harder the fungus consistency is, the longer you're going to have to simmer it to really break it down and extract those polysaccharides. Now, the usnic acid, which is more in the algae, is more alcohol-soluble. So that is best extracted via a tincture. So usnea is effective against a large range of microbes. It's antibacterial, antifungal, and antiviral. It's effective against many antibiotic-resistant bacteria, including MRSA. And it has the ability to break up biofilms that protect bacteria against antibiotics. Usnea is a broad-spectrum antibacterial that's known to be very effective against gram-positive bacteria, including strep and staph. It's also showing promise in its ability to fight gram-negative bacteria. These bacteria tend to be harder for antibiotics to fight because they have a a protective outer membrane to them. Gram-negative bacterial infections tend to cause problems in the lungs, the urinary tract, and the intestines. And usnea does tend to have an affinity for fighting like really deep-seated infections in the lungs or in the urinary system. Usnea is also really useful against skin infections or abscesses, upper respiratory infections, which would be like more in the sinuses, uh, lung infections, like really deep lung infections or infections that you just can't quit, uh, respiratory fungal infections, also uh, helpful against vaginal bacteria and yeast infections, urinary tract infections, and infections in the mouth. So overall, just a really nice and effective anti-infective, effective anti-infective. <laughs> uh, 
Usnea is perceived as having an affinity for the lungs and the urinary tract. It's renowned for fighting infections that are persistent in these areas, though it's also specific for any infections in any mucous membranes, which is, you know, including, but the entire respiratory system, urinary system, digestive system, reproductive organs and tissues, and the skin. It's especially effective against sore throats because it has that astringent potential to it, plus it has the pain-relieving analgesic potential to it, and it has the antimicrobial properties. It also is specific action against strep throat infections. So you can use the tincture as a spray, as an application, a throat spray, or add it to a small amount of water and gargle. So because you're fighting an infection, you need to at least have some sort of alcohol extract to get out that usnic acid. Usnia has proven to be um, a beneficial antiviral, especially against the herpes family of viruses, including the Epstein-Barr virus. Usnia can be useful as an effective antifungal, both for topical and internal fungal infections and also yeast infections. It can be used in topical and internal applications to fight these. Again, because those polysaccharides are going to support immune function overall. But if you have like a topical fungus infection, then you definitely want to at least be applying some of the alcohol extract of the usnea topically. Usnea has been shown to be effective against cancer, specifically promoting apoptosis or cell death of breast and lung cancer cells. It's also likely effective against leukemia. Usnea is wound healing. It fights and prevents infections in wounds. It relieves pain and quickens the healing process. And my favorite way to work with usnea for that aspect, for the wound healing aspect, is to make um, a poultice of it. It is extremely effective, in especially like right when you get a wound, if you're out in the wild, you've injured yourself, you don't have your first aid kit with you, or maybe you have some usnea in your first aid kit. But you can just, you know, take a little bit from the ground or in an emergency, take some from the tree, small amount, chew it up in your mouth. And by chewing it, you can really kind of break it up a little bit and also kind of makes a really nice, almost plaster, like a, like a really nice poultice, really easy to just chew it up and stick it on to a wound. Immediately cuts the pain and immediately stops bleeding. Even in places where yarrow has not worked for me in stopping bleeding, the usnea will immediately. Like I had a, one time I had a cut, I was landscaping and I had cut myself on a really, I don't even know what type of a pine tree it was, but it had really sharp pieces along the bark. And I scraped my finger on those pieces and it was right on the crease of the finger but it was a really deep wound but it was like right on the knuckle and so anytime you know you go to bend your finger it would just bleed again and I wanted to get back to work and I found some yarrow and 
I put it on, I poulticed it and, you know, chewed it up, spit poulticed and put it on and it just wouldn't stop bleeding. And I did the same with plantain leaf and it still wouldn't stop bleeding. And so usnea was my third, my third go at it. And immediately, immediately um, it stopped bleeding and it really kind of stayed on there for a while just on its own devices. And it also really immediately cut the pain. So really, really effective remedy for that. So in a moment, I'm going to get a little bit more into how we can make some remedies with this lichen. Um, But first, I just want to put a plug in for the Nourish Yourself course that I offer. You can check out my website, soledagoherbschool.com. And it's an online course, and for because it is my one-year anniversary of the podcast, and you are maybe a faithful listener, maybe this is your first time listening, but I do talk a lot in this podcast about uh, drinking nourishing herbal infusions just to build baseline health. And there's five herbs that we work with, and we rotate through them. It's a really great habit to instill, and sometimes it just takes a little extra support to get going and to build the habit of drinking the nourishing infusions on a daily basis. And so the course is designed to help you start the habit. It also has a lot of information. You know how I like to go into details about plants And so I go into a lot of detail about all five of those herbs, which are nettle, red clover, comfrey, linden, and oat straw. And then I also have some bonus classes that are attached to that course. Uh, There's one on adaptogens, and we specifically get into working with eleuthero and schizandra and astragalus. And there's a lot of recipes for making herbal energy snacks with these herbs. And there is a cooking with kelp class that's actually broken up into two classes. That's all about medicinal seaweeds and all about how to incorporate them into your diet with a bunch of recipes. And then there's also an add-on class that's part of the course that is all about immune soups and making bone and vegetable broths and really how to make a really killer immune soup for the wintertime, building immunity, fighting colds and flus and whatnot. So you have the bonus classes that come with the course. So I think all in all, there's like nine classes. Plus I've done um, live classes. I've offered the class live multiple times. So there's a recording of live classes that we offered as well that kind of overview the course topics. And then there's some other little bonus classes. Like I think there's like four or five or more like little two or three minute um, classes with nettle out in the field, some video classes. So lots of material there, plus like PDFs that go with each class. And it's way underpriced right now. You can get the whole course. It's lifetime membership. It's evergreen right now for, I believe it's $125. And that's probably the lowest it's going to be. I'm going to be raising the price soon. 
but get it now while you can. And if you get it, and then after I send you the welcome letter, if you respond and said that you heard about the course on the podcast, I will mail to you um, a zine that I have made, a little uh, pamphlet that's like six, six pages and it's all about the nourishing infusions and the herbs and a nice um, illustrated how to make them. And I hand color each zine. And it's just a really, you know, fun little add on that I don't normally sell. So it's a special treat um, that as for my one year anniversary of the pod. So join us on Nourish Yourself. If I get a few more people to sign up, I'll also offer um, a free live class, like as an intro, just to pull us together as a group. And then I will mail you the zine anytime if you're listening to this podcast, like down the road, and you decide to sign up to Nourish Yourself, just email me, tell me you heard about the class on the pod, and I will mail you a free illustrated by me colored hand colored zine so woohoo happy one year healthy herb podcast thank you for sticking with me through that now i want to get into talking about how we're actually going to make some remedies with usnia so really it's it's kind of a tough herb to make remedy with where you get both the polysaccharide, like the water-soluble property, and then also the alcohol-soluble property. Um, I talked about the spit poultice. That's easy and done. So one, other, one way that you can really get the immune-supporting aspect is a decoction. So where you're just going to simmer the usnea for a long time. And as you simmer it, you know, for 20 to 40 to an hour, hour and a half, whatever, just keep simmering it. It's going to concentrate down and you're going to get like a really kind of yellow, orangey broth or decoction. And that's what you want. You want your usnea remedy to have both scent to it and it also wants to have like a yellow, orange color to it. So you can do the decoction, and a lot of people say, you know, that's enough. That's enough. That still that'll still like really help to fight an infection and to build immune health. Now another way you can do it is you can make a tincture, and a lot of people have. If you just like chop up the usnea and you put it in a jar and you cover it with hundred proof vodka. It's really not going to cut it. It needs a little bit more. I mean, the 100 proof vodka is nice because you get 50% alcohol, 50% water. So technically you would be potentially getting some of that polysaccharide, but not as much as if you really like simmer it in the water. So a lot of times people will make a double extraction. They'll go through a double extraction process where if you put your usnea and in water and you really simmer it and you like cook the usnea and you simmer it, simmer it, simmer it down so that you have just a little bit of water. That's a really nice concentrated yellow color, yellow orange color. And you have your cooked usnea in that water. And then you put that all 
um, in a jar. So it's mostly just the cooked usnea and then a little bit of the water. And then you fill your jar uh, with the 100 proof vodka. So you fill it so you have your cooked usnea that fills the jar. So you want to make enough that it's going to, you know, it cooks down a little bit to fill the jar. And then a little bit of that water, but mostly just the cooked usnea that's like fully saturated. And then your 100 proof vodka. Um, that seems to make a reasonable remedy. Another way that people do it is um, you can put your, instead of cooking it down, you put your usnea in your jar and you cover it with 100 proof vodka and you put it in a brown bottle jar or in a jar that's in a brown paper bag and you put it in a warm, sunny window. So you're still getting some of that extra cooking action the warmth of the action that helps the extraction process. Um, another way that people do it is they, they say, well, you have to freeze it first before you make a tincture with it. If you're harvesting it uh, in the winter, somewhere where it freezes regularly, it's probably already been frozen. So I don't really know um, how much of a difference that would make. Some people say, well, you really have to like put it in a grinder and grind it down like a coffee grinder or something, but it doesn't really work that well because those, that mycelium, that fungal part, that rubbery white string, that's the fungal part. doesn't, it just kind of, it does not grind. It just is, you know, globs up. I find that the double extraction is the best way. Now you don't want to heat the alcohol. So just don't heat your alcohol because it is flammable. So if you get a little bit, it's just a little hazardous. So heat it in water first, and then you want to add your alcohol. Now you want to make sure that you always have at least 25% alcohol in your jar to preserve a tincture. But that's why you don't want to have like a lot of water and then put your 100 proof vodka in it because you know, your 100 proof vodka is already 50% water. So you don't want to water it down too much. But you want to break up that usnea. You want to like cook it so that you can extract more from it. But you don't want to leave any water. You, know, you don't want to cook it and then take it out of the water and then leave the water behind because so that's why you just like simmer it in a very small amount of water almost so that there's no water left. But, you've, but it's all kind of reabsorbed into the usnea and then the tincture can absorb it out. That's what I find helpful. Um, also for like healing skin infections, rashes, acne, wounds, a decoction of usnea can be applied as a wash topically. Um, and you can like soak a cloth and put it onto the area. And that would also be helpful if you had a fungal infection, topical skin fungus. And then the tincture can also be applied topically, either diluted in water or not diluted. You could put it in a spray bottle and spray on infections or wounds or to keep an infection from forming in a wound. Now, some people make an infused oil with usnea, and they suggest that you do like a warm oil extraction where you, you know, put the usnea, maybe cut it up really small and then put it in a jar and cover it and put that jar in a, just like a hot water bath to warm it. Um, 
or put it in a brown jar and put it in the sun so that it gets that warmth from the sun, but not the light from the sun or in a brown paper bag. I haven't really, I haven't had the best luck in that feeling like there's a lot of extraction that happens there, but it just kind of seems like there's just, just usnea in oil, but you can give it a shot, especially if you are one of those magic herbal oil maker folks. And then once you have your oil, you could make a salve. I have heard of people putting the usnea infused oil in salves, but then they're also usually putting it in with a bunch of other things. And so who really knows if it's the usnea or if it's the other herbs in the salve that are working. So for me, like topically with the usnea, I personally prefer the spit poultice works amazing, uh, which is where you chew it up and stick it on the wound or, um, you could like simmer it in the water and then take both the usnea, the wet usnea from the water and the water itself and apply that topically, not when it's boiling hot, obviously. So there are some ideas and it's something you just kind of have to play around with a little bit. And again, you don't need a lot. Um, I did actually have a friend who, if who if you happen to have an abundance of usnea, like you find someone who cuts down a tree that's covered in usnea and they need it, they're going to burn it if you don't take it or something. Then um, I did have a friend who kind of always kept a pot on top of her stove and she kept the usnea in it so that it was always kind of like simmering and warm. And then she said that she just all winter long, she would pour cups of usnea tea out of that pot and she'd either add more usnea or add more water or however it needed to go. And then she would just kind of, it was like her winter immune tonic. And that's really, you know, she's mostly getting the polysaccharides there, but, and I bet it really made her cabin smell really uniquely, uniquely good, I would say. <laughs> So if you live in a place where there's an abundance of usnea, go out after a windy day and harvest some off the ground and play around with it. See what you think and let me know. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. Uh, you can check out on my website the Nourish Yourself online course See if that's information that you find interesting or if you like that self-led learning where you can either, you know, read the PDFs and there's lots of fun recipes, um, lots of detailed information, or you can, um, we have a Facebook group, you can, you know, be active on there. And oh, the other thing I forgot to mention that comes with the Nourish Yourself is you get an hour of one-on-one -on -one talk time with me. That's totally included. We can talk about whatever you want and you can divide that up into 15-minute conversations, half-hour conversations, or it could be um, email time as well. So if you want to also have some private one-on-one -on -one class time with me, then that's a really great way to do it and then get a lot of added bonus features as well. And this class isn't going to stay as inexpensive as it is now forever. So get it while the getting's good. 
let me know you heard about it on the podcast and I will send you the Nourish Yourself zine, which I hand color and I made myself. So thanks again so much for listening. Thanks for sticking with me for the year. If you've been here for the whole year, if you're just finding me, I hope that you find the podcast informational and inspirational. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.